the incomparable. Number 438, December 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. In this episode, we're going to talk about the recently concluded season of Doctor Who, season 11. We're going to talk about Planet of the Spiders. We're going to talk about... Nope, wait. Sorry. (laughs) That is wrong. It's the series 11. I did, before we get into it, I just want to point out, how long has Doctor Who been back? Well, season 11 of the classic Doctor Who series was John Pertwee's final season and if we go by years we'd be well into the tom baker era now and it is just kind of mind-blowing to think that how just how long doctor who has been back jason i didn't come onto this podcast to be reminded how old i am (laughs) i'm sorry i'm sorry chip so anyway the monster of peladon let's dig into it nope nope we're gonna talk about jody whittaker's first season as the doctor and uh, you've heard some voices there i have many people who have podcasts about doctor who and a couple people who don't and we're going to talk about (laughs) all of us doctor who this season let me introduce them in an order assigned randomly james thompson is here he is the only one of this group who pays a license hello <laughs> so the the doctor may not be a grumpy scottish man anymore but you still have me all right excellent <laughs> i feel at home then uh gene mcdonald is also here does not have a doctor who podcast but is a faithful doctor who viewer hello hello jason i am very happy to be here again for the season wrap-up yeah that's great great to have you uh steven Shapansky has a few doctor who podcasts uh most probably most notably lazy doctor who here on the incomparable <laughs> but also radio free scarrow hi steven hi there Nice to be back talking about Doctor Who, which is something I never get to do in real life. It's in your wheelhouse. I just, I feel, it is kind of fun to talk to you. It's like the canonical, famous Stephen Shapansky now. His words about Doctor Who, we will write them down. Also, Erica Ensign, who hosts, again, the famed Lazy Doctor Who here on the Incomparable Network, along with many other things, including being one of the hosts of Verity, which is also a Doctor Who podcast you may have heard of. Erp Chirp right here. There, there's Beginner's Puck. There's so many podcasts. Hi, Erica. <laughs> Hi. Here I am doing yep. a podcast. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. And of course, basically the editor of uh, all of Total Party Kill now, too. So there's so many things that go on. There. Yeah, that's my afternoon. That's mm-hmm. yeah, well, great. <laughs> Great, but bad. Lots of people playing D and D, questionably. Uh, Alyssa Frankie <laughs> is the co-host of This Week in Time Travel, right here on the Incomparable. Welcome back. Hello, hello. This is definitely the first time I am talking about Series Eleven today, and I have definitely not done this conversation in any other podcasts previously. Well, I think it's good that, uh, that we can also say you, you listening out there, you might want to tune into This Week in Time Travel, where you can hear Alyssa talk more about Season Eleven with her co-host. Chip Sutterth. Hi, Chip. Hi. Can we talk about Voltron Legendary Defender instead? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) I think the place to start with this season is to start with the cast, because of course the big story coming in for this season of Doctor Who was that we had our first woman playing the Doctor, Jodie Whittaker, but we also have three companions in the TARDIS for the first time in a long time uh, with Yaz and Ryan and Graham. And so we've got a f- four new actors as regulars in the show, and I think uh, I think that's one of the uh, most interesting things about this season. There are huge creative changes behind the camera and in the writers' room. All of that is true too. But I think maybe it starts with the cast, or at least this podcast does, because I 
and the host, and I just said, let's talk about the cast. <laughs> so I uh, wonder if we could go around and uh, and talk to everybody about, uh, first, Jodie Whittaker and her performance as the Doctor, uh, because I think it, it does sort of start and end right there. Uh, and uh, let's start with James. Uh, what, what are your feelings about how uh, Jodie Whittaker did as the Doctor this season? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, everybody should see themselves represented on screen. And, you know, as I said in the intro, you know, the uh, Peter Capaldi's doctor was very grumpy and Scottish. And for me, that was kind of spot on. But, you know, there's the, the realization that not everything is actually about me. And, uh, you know, uh, Jodie Whittaker, I knew her from Attack the Block, uh, which everybody should watch. And oh, so I still I w- need to see that. Watch it. It's really good. It's got like <laughs> lots of people in it you'll like. Um, and you can see a sort of, if you watch that, which I did immediately after she was announced. And you can see the sort of like, um, because she becomes more confident as the, as the film goes on. And you start to see, ah, I, I can see where the doctor is going to go on this. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't worried at all about her casting. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's completely different the, the way she's playing it. But, uh, at this particular point in time and space, I'm finding her <laughs> relentless optimism and positivity and all this to be quite refreshing. Uh, and yeah, I'm very glad that she is the doctor. And the fact that she's female seems entirely incidental. I would agree with that. Um, that as soon as the first episode started going, I, I kind of forgot about it because she was so doctor like. You know, she she met my expectations in a lot of ways, and um, for the doctor, and I hadn't seen Attack the Block before. I had seen Broadchurch, and in Broadchurch, she is nothing like the doctor. Yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> and I was really, I was like, wow, they must know something about her that would make her be the doctor, because I can't imagine her being anything but like a a kind of grumpy person as a very so. sad angry person yeah grieving, right. grieving person uh-huh. the doctors i've always gravitated to have been the less distant ones the more humany or the more attachment prone your uh peter davidson your david Tennant, and all this stuff stephen moffat didn't go for that sort of thing um but in, in, with uh, matt smith or peter capaldi for the most part and it was really refreshing to see jodie whittaker come on and just really Really flip that script. Uh, her doctor is very empathetic. It's a very flat hierarchical structure on the TARDIS this time around, <laughs> yeah, and 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 I'm really I'm really enjoying that and appreciating that. Some people have criticized that as being sort of gender essentialist, and I'm not sure that I buy that. But watching Doctor Who every week has just felt it, it, it it's felt like a warm soft blanket because I like this cast so much and. Jodie Whittaker's at the top of that list for that. Yeah, I would I would have to go back and, and listen to previous episodes of Verity to know for sure how quickly I glommed on to Peter Capaldi as the Doctor, because I feel like that happened very, very quickly, and I was shocked, because usually it takes me a while to kind of get on board with a new actor playing the Doctor, and that has just been the case for me historically. I did not jump on with Matt Smith in the 11th hour the way a lot of people did. It took me a while. Um, but I was absolutely there for Jodie Whittaker as the doctor in The Woman Who Fell to Earth. I just, to me, she just felt like the doctor to me in a way that most 
mostly doesn't happen when we have one of those big switches of cast. And I mean, I just I love beginnings. So if you if you know me or if you've listened to me on a lot of podcasts, I tend to like the first episode of a trilogy. I tend to like the first book in a series. I tend to like the first few episodes in a television series. And that is definitely what happened here. I I loved the doctor all the way through, but I think I loved her the most in like the first half of the season when it was just all so new and fresh. She had this empathy that Chip was talking about that that felt like it, it was a thing that we hadn't done for a while. Mm-hmm. And that was really fun. And she had this this competence and sort of confidence about her competence that wasn't bravado and braggadocio, which was really nice because that's that's my favorite thing in, in The Doctor is just sort of like, yeah, I'm clever. And I know it, so let's just go do something clever. And I think, I think maybe it's it's because I've been a little bit spoiled in the past several seasons of of modern Doctor Who that we've seen a lot of sort of a, a character arc for the Doctor. And I don't feel like we had a lot of that in Series Eleven because Jodie Whittaker's take on the Doctor was right there from from moment one for me. But I felt like she didn't feel very different in Episode One from than she did in episode 10 like she was she was just there so much that she had it and then it didn't it didn't change a lot and i and maybe that was a, a, a because this is the first season with the entirely new showrunner new cast new everything and they were just sort of you know trying to get their feet underneath each other and then maybe maybe later we'll talk about what we hope for for the future but i think maybe my excitement about the new doctor started to wane a little bit in the later episodes simply because it was just a lot of the same and that it's the same good stuff but it was still the same good stuff yeah i very much had that feeling i think for me um i love Jodie Whittaker and I thought she did a really impressive job this season um, given that she wasn't really given kind of a same type of material that the past few doctors have had in terms of having an emotional arc to go through the season you know the big finale episode the what now uh, you know the the, <laughs> the thing the that happened that came there at the, at the end, end. Oh. You know, <laughs> number ten of ten. <laughs> she she had a lot of the technobabble lines. She had a lot of the you know w- we need to figure out how to get all of these planets back kind of lines. And it was Graham who had the sort of big emotional hero moment of confronting the villain and uh, confronting his own values. And so you know. I think she still did a really great job with the material that she had. And I think for me, um, what I really liked about this season is that she felt alien, but also more connected. Um, I think a lot of the complaints that I've had about the Doctor's character um, in the past couple of years uh, under Stephen Moffat was that he attempted to make the Doctor alien by making him rude and inconsiderate towards his companions. And that type of Doctor has never really been my favorite type of Doctor. It's a character trait that has come up before, um, but one I don't appreciate and don't like. Um, And I was uh, very aware that I, you know, wanted to avoid overly trying to assign binary gender essentialism to this doctor and i you know did she you know i wanted her to be able to still be alien but she was 
empathetic as well. She was connected. She stuck around um, after situations happened. She checked in with her companions and made sure they were okay. But she was still very, very alien throughout that she uh, had a wildly different perspective on things. She forgot that maybe, you know, around humans that she doesn't know, it's not a good idea to uh, mention uh, sex, gender, and regeneration when you're not read (laughs) into what's going on. Um, And that was a very welcome, refreshing change for me. I, I like that, you know, she she was able to be a hero of the piece in the same episode that she stuck her finger up her nose. <laughs> and, and like, when was the last time you got to see a woman character in a show be both a hero and someone who sticks her finger up her nose? I found that quite refreshing about how her performance is allowed to sort of run the gamut, um, it, unlike many many women or female roles in television or movies today that that's what i was most looking forward to and i'm glad they sort of like they got her quirkiness and her heroic nature into the story quite early on yeah there are no um question marks on her uh suspenders but there is there's definitely feel i mean i i'm holding i am not english anyway the um uh, I'm holding the Peter Davison uh, Blu-ray in my hand right now, um, uh-huh. and I, I just want to draw a little parallel there where it is kind of like bright and shiny mm-hmm. new Doctor after uh, a kind of older and grumpier Doctor at the end of the Tom Baker run and Three Companions and the, the An kind honest of open face. Yeah, like I feel I got I got a lot of that Peter Davison vibe from Jodie Whittaker. Um, yep. And the other thing is is and some of this goes to uh, maybe we can talk about later kind of overall in the way the the writing is there among the way that this season reminded me of classic Doctor Who and certainly not the Moffat era is this idea that the Doctor is kind of a facilitator like the Doctor is the main character in a way and drives the plot along and is at the center but at the same time it's kind of like the, the you know we are supposed to identify with the companions the Doctor knows everything and is going to solve all the problems and I, I feel like in the Moffat era Stephen Moffat was like no no the Doctor is the main character and we'll have an emotional story arc and we'll learn things about their past and they'll have to make decisions and whereas especially the classic series but to a certain extent and even the Russell T. Davis era, the doctor was um, not that, right? Like, did not need a personal arc that the doctor is sort of eternal, always present, sort of knows everything, will kind of solve everything. And the human characters are the ones that we sort of need to focus on in terms of their their story arcs. And, you know, I could go either way. I get why Stephen Moffat wanted to tinker with the format and do something different. But, uh, you know, and I'm not trying to put a value judgment on it, but it definitely feels like this show is saying the doctor doesn't need to have a, a personal arc in the in the storyline because the doctor is almost kind of more eternal um and it it felt very old school to me in that way Mm -hmm. and she was great like i mean this is the funny thing right if if you would ask me what we would be talking about in a season ending thing it would be like well did they pull it off and it's like no question of all the questions (laughs) about this season did jody was she cast well did she perform well and was uh did she was she the doctor and was the dialogue uh, written for her doctorish and it's like yeah like is there a question i i never once stopped and said wait a second what show is this again? Like, never. Never. Not once. And I, I would not have guessed that going in. I thought it would be a little more of an adaptation period. And they, if they nailed anything this season, I think Jodie Whittaker, her performance, her casting was the thing they nailed. Here, here. There are people who have argued differently. And I, do not, hear, and I do not hear <laughs> their words. Who? I know. <laughs> what? 
I do not hear their words. Uh, the comparison was made to uh, Peter Davison being a passive doctor and uh, things happening around him. And people have made the same claims uh, about uh, the 13th Doctor as written. And I, I, I can see some of that, but as performed, right from the moment she falls through the train roof and takes charge against the gathering coils um, in The Women Who Fell to Earth, um, she's the Doctor. Yep. yep. Yep, absolutely. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Pingdom. Pingdom is the company that makes website performance monitoring super easy. Now, everybody, when you're out there on the internet, you want a fast site, you want a fast service, you don't want to wait, you don't want to have something be broken. Pingdom helps keep your favorite sites online. Netflix and Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, Slack. These are just a few of the companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring needs. Websites can get super complicated, but you can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom. So it's not just is the site up. It's stuff like user registrations, logins, checkouts, and much more. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if something goes wrong, if disaster strikes, if your computers betray you, you will be the first one to know. It's super easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is the URL of your site. That's it. They take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell right now, and you'll get a 14-day free trial. No credit card required. When you sign up, use this code Snell, my last name, at checkout, and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. What a deal. Thank you to Pingdom for warning us when our sites aren't up, when our computers betray us, and for supporting the incomparable. So, okay, uh, first woman uh, playing the doctor, not a problem. Let's move on to the, it's just, I think after all that Check. talk for more than a year, it's like not, not an issue. So let's move on to the rest of the cast. So one of the things that is, I think, controversial is this decision to make, uh, to have three characters and not because it's like, oh my God, Doctor Who's never had three characters as companions before. It happens. It's happened. It's fine. Uh, it's happened more than once. Uh, but uh, there is this question of, is there enough room in this show, in a modern, you know, 50 minute long TV show to over 10 episodes to service a four person main cast to give in each episode each character enough to do to give them some sort of a character arc across the season. And I think there is much more to debate about that than about how Jodie Whittaker did, because we have we have uh, Yaz and Ryan and Graham. And I think you know, to start it off, I'd say I think they're all really well cast. I enjoyed the characters and and the the performances by the actors a lot. It does feel a little bit like some of them got more to do <laughs> than others did, and some of them got hmm. more to learn and grow about than others did. I, I was wondering, uh, like with the casting in previous seasons, we've had you know the sort of the the strong male figure and uh, an adoring or otherwise young woman. And in this, the way it's cast, there's nobody who's sort of obviously singled out as a, as a potential romantic partner for the Doctor. So the way it's cast is just, we have these three people, you know, everyone's friends. There's There's been not a single inkling of that, even really between sort of Ryan and Yaz who seem to be being set up possibly uh early on in the, in the season but now it's just yeah we we have this bunch of mates and i think my my only thing with the casting is like Bradley Walsh who i think is great as Graham going into it i just knew him as like a comedian and host of a tv game show <laughs> 
So <laughs> that that was my sort of like uh, I'm not sure about this how this is going to work, but I I think he's very good, and yeah the the one uh, the one thing that I don't really like is that the, the season has kind of mostly focused on Graham and Ryan's relationship. That's the kind of big emotional arc, and Yaz as a result doesn't get a lot to do. Yeah, I think I think in the the question that you asked, Jason, you know, do do these characters get enough to do? I think that entirely depends on what you as a viewer feel like is enough. Because to mm-hmm. me, Yaz was my favorite. And I think that's just a function of the way that I watch television and the characters that I am am drawn to. When you have a handful of characters and one or some of them get the spotlight and get to be in the front all the time, and there's somebody else who is kind of more in the background, just being quiet and doing their thing, I am going to gravitate to the quiet character. I'm going to gravitate <laughs> to the one who doesn't jump into the spotlight all the time for whatever reason. So for me, I felt like Yaz got just the right amount of stuff to do. I think that she was perfect and I loved her. So, you know, I'm I'm perfectly happy and I loved watching Graham and, and Ryan have their, their emotional arc. I think it was very well done and it was nice. If you like Yaz that much, don't you wish that she had had more to do this no. season? No. You liked <laughs> no, her but really just don't. enough. I think because I think one of the reasons I like her so much is that we didn't focus on her to such an extent that she is 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 running around and in the spotlight. Like I just I really like I guess I like side characters a lot. Um, And maybe this comes back to my my classic Doctor Who love for Nyssa, who was always just quietly competent Mm -hmm. and was just she was just there being awesome. And she didn't always feel like she needed to step up and like, you know, put her face in between the Doctor and Tegan because frankly, that would be dangerous. Um, And I got sort of that same that same feeling here. Like Yaz is she is she's we know a lot about her like when you actually like take off the boxes of all of the information that we know about her and what she wants and who she is and what her job is um and i think a lot of the information that we've gotten about her has come not from the writing um exactly but from the performance based on the character as written so you get a lot of physical action you get her physically interposing herself and placing herself in in a way that shows that yes she has police training this is this is a thing that she is is doing you get her changing the way that she delivers lines if she's if it's something that's you know like asking a question that could be a, a police type question uh you know her her entire tone and her stance sort of changes like i feel like i really know her as a character actually probably more than i know no ryan you know he had a more centralized character development thing like i feel like i i understand a lot about his relationship with graham with his granddad but i don't feel like i know him as a person as well as i do yaz as a person and i don't think that she necessarily needs to be front and center in order to get that information across and i think i don't know maybe it's an introvert extrovert thing as an introvert (laughs) i watch it and i i appreciate her and the way that she carries herself and the things that she does do and the things that she does not do very very much I understand that perspective a lot. I think for me, you know, I was so interested in the the initial setup that they had for her in The Woman Who Fell to Earth. Like, her introduction, I thought, was one of the best introductions um, that the Doctor's New Fam got. Because you got a very clear, like, idea of who she was, what her values were, and sort of what she wanted out of her life. And that was to be doing more than, you know mediating stupid traffic disputes you know Mm -hmm. um and i think there was some really really good moments 
for Yaz, um, that conversation that she and uh, Ryan had and Rosa, um, I think, it, you know, a lot of demons of the Punjab where she's sort of confronting her own family history and the stories that her grandmother didn't tell her and understanding why her grandmother didn't share those stories. Um, but I feel like it just needed like a point, you know, like I wanted, yeah, you know, I wanted them to bring that full circle. I wanted them to let Yaz, you know, reflect a little more on what traveling with the doctor meant for her, meant for the sort of vision that she had for herself in the very first story, and what traveling back in time to see her sort of family origins had on her. And it feels like, you know, Ryan and Graham got a lot of attention to, um, their sort of journey and how they felt as a result of each story. Um, and it felt like Yaz didn't get quite that level of attention. Um, and so it, you know, she was, I think Mandip Gill is an incredible actress and she does a lot to every single scene that she is in, regardless of, you know, what the dialogue is that she has or, you know, what she has to be doing during that moment. Um, but I, I feel like I wanted to give her just I wanted to give her more to do in more of her stories. Um, also, going back to the point made earlier about uh, there hasn't been a clear companion um, to be set up as a romantic interest for the Doctor. <laughs> Tumblr yeah. disagrees strongly. Yeah. Tumblr yeah. very much is trying to ship together Yaz and the Doctor right now. <laughs> But but even even that sort of like went by the wayside as well. Like we had that little that little moment at the end of uh, Arachnids in the UK where she's you know the best person I've ever met. I want to spend more time with you. Says ooh, uh, and then that sort of kind of went to the wayside. It it it, it kind of was telling that in the last episode, the Battle of Ranscore Av Kolos. Uh, if if we're gonna put a title on it, I'm the only one that memorized it. That was really Chris Chibnall saying, "I can make millions of fans memorize whatever crazy thing I <laughs> <Yeah>. want." <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, there's Graham and Ryan paired up. The Doctor's sort of doing her own thing, and like, well, somebody has to talk to Paltraki, so I guess Yaz, you're going with him. Like, she was kind of treated as the fourth member of the group. Um, I, I think, and I, I like the season overall, but I think it's it's somewhat troubling that of the four regulars, the only two uh, characters who had solid character development over the course of the season were the male ones. And when one of the female ones is the lead of the show, I find that's a bit of a problem. You could yeah. make the argument that men need more character development generally. <laughs> yeah, too. But, you know, even even one of the few times where, where Yaz and Ryan, there's a great scene in Rosa, sure, but the next time they sort of have a have a one-on-one chat, it's Yaz asking Ryan about his mom, basically. Like, it, it's not even Yaz having development of her own. It's her asking Ryan about his own past and everything. I like, feel like it, that it, is Yaz's development itself right there because she's the kind of person who is not jumping forward to talk about herself all the time. She's the kind of person who is asking questions of other people. And I know there are a lot of viewers who have complained about that. Oh, she's just the the stereotypical companion who's there to ask questions. Well, guess what? It's a good mm-hmm. thing to ask questions. And some of us think that's great. Someone needs to ask her questions then, I guess. And she's a, she's a police officer too. Too, right, so asking, yeah. asking questions and and learning out the situation is part of the job. I am fascinated by the idea that the the natural Doctor Who dynamic is the Doctor and Yaz, and that there are also these two guys 
kind of bumbling. And, and Yaz is incredibly <laughs> competent and like a really good Doctor Who companion, given her police training. She's very careful. She's very insightful. She's, you know, she's not going to get into trouble. And then they're the other two. <laughs> they're the ones who get in trouble. And, and in fact, if it's set up that way, you can sort of see why they end up, you know, kind of being more of the focus is because they're the ones who are are portrayed as being, you know, not, they don't have it all together and they're kind of, you know, they're still trying to figure it out in a way. Whereas Yaz is just, she's, she's great, right? She's competent. She knows what she's doing. She's, she's fully qualified to be a Doctor Who companion, unlike the other two. Which is understandable, <laughs> but uh, I do think that there's something to be said for, you know, what does that mean for who gets the screen time and yep. who gets the, and, and who gets the attention? I think that this series does pretty well with just broadly speaking, you know, representation and things like that. When the show is paying attention, when the show, when when the showrunners are and the writers are being intentional, but I don't think that they were intentional enough about the Doctor and Yaz. This would be a good time, actually, for me to get everybody's thoughts about the inciting event that leads to Ryan and Graham's character development and their presence on the TARDIS, which is, I know something that has bugged a lot of people, which is, we are introduced in the first episode to Grace, who is Ryan's grandmother and Graham's wife of a few years, and um, and at the end of the episode... She dies falling off of a tower while they're while she's bravely climbing up there to help the doctor and save the day and and save uh, save everybody. Um, and the rest of the uh, series, you know, we do see there's a lot of grief in this season, which I think is interesting. And we see Ryan and but mostly Graham dealing with grief. We see their relationship, which was always awkward from moment one of the season, uh, grow and and they connect more as people. That's the character development we were talking about earlier. But at the root of it is the death of grace and i know that there are a lot of people who feel like fundamentally this is what they call a fridging which is a killing of a woman character so that men can have character development so how do people feel about uh about grace dying in episode one she does come back as a you know vision slash mirror something and there's a flashback at one point so she's in a couple other episodes but her death really is the uh, the inciting event for uh, ryan and graham yeah i didn't like it um surprising probably nobody <laughs> yeah. um but i mean it, it is fairly classic textbook fridging um that uh you know she was really kind of of an incredible fascinating character and a character who's probably more suited to traveling in the tardis than graham is you know he at the beginning of this series is very much the reluctant participant in all of this he doesn't really want to be putting himself in danger um to be a part of this adventure he's kind of pulled along because grace is demanding it the entire time um and when she's killed um this basically sets up the entire journey for him throughout the season that he um sort of gets drawn into the doctor's life and continues traveling with her and he gets that growth as a result um to uh really challenge himself and uh try new experiences and uh Grace does not get that opportunity. She doesn't get to travel. Um, it's the uh, inciting event for Ryan and Graham to sort of reevaluate their relationship. And really what I would argue is the climactic moment of the final episode that shall not be named is <laughs> Graham and Ryan coming together to defeat the person who is responsible for Grace's death. Um, and uh, 
building a kind of new and different relationship that, you know, Ryan is finally saying that he, you know, loves his granddad. Um, and it's, you know, it, it is pretty awful in a series that was talking so vocally about how committed it was to diversity and representation that it focused overwhelmingly on the emotional development of the one white male companion, because even Ryan got a lesser degree of attention around this than Graham did. Um, and that whole thing was predicated on the fridging of a black woman. Um, it's it's pretty upsetting and i i felt it was uh really kind of the one fundamental flaw at the heart of this season um that uh that happened mm-hmm. yeah it was is hard because it's 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 such a fundamental flaw and it happens in the very first episode that it's just like the rest of this house is built on a foundation that has you know some some really rickety bricks down there mm-hmm. and like uh, the way that i have a tendency to watch television is uh, the, the, my very first reactions come from a very very watsonian viewpoint like i'm looking at the things that are happening from like within the fiction of the show so at first glance I didn't mind it because within the fiction of the show, it didn't feel very fridgy to me because Grace was amazing and she had her own agency and she she died because of, you know, similar to Clara. Uh, she had a choice to make and she put herself out there and she died doing, you know, trying to save her own family, which is which is a, a laudable and, and really cool thing. But when I then especially being a podcaster and actually like looking at it from from a bigger a bigger view stepped back and looked at it from the the doyleist viewpoint like what are what are what's going on outside what are the choices being made by by the writers by the showrunners that sort of thing yeah you killed off a black woman in the very first episode and and while it wasn't within the fiction it, her death was not aimed at Ryan and Graham like you know Tim Shaw did not kill her to get them to do something like you know they are at that point they were not his arch enemies that he was trying to incite a reaction from but in the larger context of the show from a writing perspective yeah that is exactly what was happening that is like Alyssa said that's that's what led to all of the the great character development that we got from them so so while in, like if I were to just plop down somebody and just just watch this one episode, the woman who fell to earth, and that's the only thing that exists of Doctor Who, um, I think I probably would have been fine with it. But then, yeah, you've got nine more episodes after that 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 follow along. So I have I have really mixed feelings about it. And, and Grace was so awesome. Like I knew from the beginning of the episode she wasn't making it until the end because you just like having somebody that excited in the TARDIS is is not a thing that we do all that often. Mm-hmm. But maybe we should. Yeah, mm-hmm. we we knew who the companions were going to be, um, obviously mm-hmm. before the show uh, shows started airing. So um, there were already three, and I d- I did feel when I I learned like okay, one of them is going to be a middle aged white guy. Um, we just had a middle aged white guy as the doctor, mm-hmm. and uh, they I I, I worried that I, he was going to be the guy who's going to be in charge somehow, like or be the one that you know, backstops the doctor. And, and instead, you know, through that episode one, I thought, oh, he's going to be kind of the, the goof, you know, like he doesn't get it. He's, he's, he's old fashioned. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he's a little awkward. That's interesting. kind of whiny, <laughs> kind of whiny. And then, um, you know, the fact that, you know, that Grace is the one who, who dies, and he gets to be in the TARDIS, 
it it did it it, it was a sour feeling. Um, mm-hmm. However, the fact that at least I and I know a lot of people who didn't want to necessarily like the character, we really liked him, you know, and even you know became some people's favorite companion, despite the whole uh, the way it got started. It says a lot about. How, I think what a good actor he is, because <laughs> so, I, 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 he did pull off that that very sympathetic character. But yeah, it, man, when I rewatched episode one um, in preparation for this, I thought, oh gosh, Grace is a great character. She, it, it wasn't as you say, like they didn't just have like sort of a cardboard character, um, color, uh, woman of color. And let's knock her off. She's just a, a pawn in this thing, even though, you know, and so that she was. And ultimately, she, for the time that she was alive, she was great. And that moment, there's that one moment where she says to Graham, is it wrong that I'm, you know, really enjoying this when they're like, you know, fighting against uh, Tim Shaw? Uh, I thought, I forgot how how gung-ho she was to uh, to work with the doctor every time i watch that episode i keep wishing that it ends differently and i keep hoping that it will end differently even though that's not exactly how it works yeah i mean her death was kind of a bit pointless as well which bothered me it was like everything's everything's sort of being handled and the doctor says you know stay here and whatever you do don't climb up this crane and like she just goes (laughs) oh i might just climb up this crane and then dies and it just seemed like well, we need to kill her now because we've planned out all this stuff for for Ryan and Graham, and you know you need you need to die. It doesn't matter how good a character you are, and yeah, it really bothered me. Tim Shaw was dispatched by that time; like he was already zapped into three thousand four hundred seventy years in the past or future. I can't remember where, but but like he's already <laughs> gone by the time that little um, wire ball uh, has to be dealt with, you know? So it's almost like incidental her death is, which yeah, yeah, kind of exactly. makes it more tragic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say as an American who has no knowledge of Bradley Walsh, um, I also was a little bit skeptical, like how are we going to do this as a, you know, an older man as a, as a companion, but I, I really enjoyed his performance. I think, you know, I, I feel his grief about grace. I think I enjoy that. He calls the doctor duck. I think that the way that it's written, <laughs> gets away with where it. he's like a little sidekick and he gets away with it, is is kind of fun. Um, I, I think that's I think it's again to come back to kind of like the overall casting and performances. Like uh, that character feels like a lived in character, and it's a fun performance. And I feel like I know Graham and I know Yaz and I I know Ryan. I mean Ryan, talk about a goofball. Um, my <laughs> perhaps my favorite wacky moment of the entire season is in Rosa, where Ryan <laughs> says to himself. Great job, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> and then we move on. Like it's just a uh, kind of a kind of a goofy guy who has a big heart, and obviously he has a uh, uh, you know he has issues with his father, which the the daddy issues plot is still out there to be dealt with, I suppose, at a later time. But um, the uh, but you know he does build his relationship uh, with Graham as it goes, and uh, he's 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 a a Doctor Who companion in the sense of you know coming in and not 
and not knowing any of the ropes and having to figure it out. But I like the little, I think the little touches with Ryan are what get me that he's got those moments like that where he congratulates himself, where he's a little bit wackier. Um, I enjoy those too. So, so yeah, I mean the, 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 you know, Grace to look to Chris Chibnall's credit, Grace in a very short amount of time is made an incredibly appealing, fun character that everybody wishes wouldn't die, which as he's writing the story, right? That's his intent. His intent is to make mm-hmm. you really like her and then to kill her off. Um, the, you know, the fundamental issue is not that that isn't necessarily bad storytelling. It's just, I feel like we had this conversation uh, not too long ago about uh, uh, Star Trek Discovery and, uh, and a, a, a gay character who dies there. And there was very much like that is a tr- the barrier gay is kind of trope where there's romance mm-hmm. and then somebody dies. Like having, killing a character is not fundamentally a mistake killing a character to build up other characters is not fundamentally a mistake but there are certain things that everybody should know who's a professional in this business uh are cliches at this point and cliches for bad reasons and that's the part that gets me about about grace is not only is she a great character but like did you not realize what you were doing here um so it's (laughs) that that part is frustrating but in the end i do i do really both I, I enjoy Graham and Ryan. They're 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 both great and and more uh, Graham more than I expected to. I think over the course of the season, mm-hmm. I do also feel like it was you know just from a sheerly mercenary perspective, uh, the choice to center so much around Graham and his emotional arc uh, was was really smart because from what I understand, and I also did not have any, I'd never heard of Bradley Walsh before, but I know many people in the UK who have uh, elderly family members and friends who had not either watched Doctor Who ever or hadn't watched it in a long time. Um, I've heard about people hearing, you know, overhearing conversations in the grocery store that lots of people are watching Doctor Who because of Bradley Walsh, because he's so well known for other things there. So I think the idea of sort of centering him, not so much just because he's a white male, but because he's a star, he's mm. coming in with a lot of, of cachet, uh, was was kind of a, a, a smart thing to do when it comes to like, you know, the ratings and the money, because people are, are staying uh, staying longer than they might have otherwise if they were kind of iffy about it, because it's this guy they know who's getting getting all the stuff to do. And it worked. Now, I'm not going to take over for Radio Free Scaro, which very carefully has to consult about all the ratings that happen. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I will say... It it worked. Like if we want to look at the ratings in the U.S. and the U.K., mm-hmm. they were better by quite a bit than they were now. The addition of Bradley Walsh did not help the ratings in the U.S. I'm just going to say that because we True. don't know who he is. <laughs> but in the U.K., the ratings started high, and although they descended over the season as they generally do, they mm-hmm. it, it is uh, the best ratings that they've had in years and my understanding is that the ratings jumped this just came by today um as as i was prepping for this the ratings were up in the u.s too bbc america had higher ratings uh by quite a bit than they had last season so um the fresh start nature of it uh and you know whether you're curious about jody whitaker or you're in the uk and you're curious about bradley walsh this we, we can we can and are debating the merits of individual episodes in the season as a whole as a commercial product it does seem to have been a successful relaunch yeah it, it's um it, it, just to talk stats for a little bit oh, let's uh, do it the, <laughs> the, the fact that i mean at bbc america it did dip a little bit in the middle but then sort of like perked up towards the end uh but the 
mildly troubling thing perhaps in that on BBC One is that there was a consistent drop. No episode topped the episode that came previous to it. It was a steady decline to the end. And I think that's perhaps more in keeping with the fact that uh, series 11 was basically exactly what we were told it was going to be, even though we didn't believe it. When Chris Chibnall said, yep, 10 standalone episodes, everyone thought, no, come on. Trip- Chibnall was hired because of Broadchurch and because of this appointment viewing on Sunday nights. And and he was going to make it like a, a big uh, season-long arc with the writer's room and everything. But no, he was exactly 100% truthful in what we were getting. We were getting 10 standalone episodes of Doctor Who that we didn't need to ever see anything before pretty much to watch. Uh, and and maybe that made it less appointment viewing, perhaps, for people than I think, certainly I. I, I was expecting that kind of approach to, to the season of Doctor Who, but to tie back to our comparison to the recent released uh, ser- season 19 on Blu-ray, it did fa- very much feel like a classic 1980s season of Doctor Who in that way. Here are mm-hmm. some stories. That's yeah, it. Yep. I, I yeah. was getting a bit tired of Stephen Moffat's kind of clever puzzle plot structure things because they were starting to feel overly complicated and overly familiar. But I, watching this season, I was kind of missing them a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was a lot of standalone stuff. And, you know, fairly straightforward plots, sentient universe frogs aside. Um, but I, I did miss it a bit. And the one thing that was the sort of the, 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 the arc through it was, you know, Graham and Ryan dealing mm-hmm. with Grace's death. And then the one returning baddie was the baddie I liked the least in the entire season, <laughs> being Tim Shaw. And he, I don't know, there was just something about, him that I was very disappointed with, and I loved everything about the first episode aside from him. Uh, and then he turns up again, and I, I kind of was about that's why the, the end of the season or the 10th episode of the season was somewhat disappointing for me. Yeah, I think it's easier to, it's definitely easier to sort of grab the majority of people with a, a plot that's an arc as opposed to just character arc. And I knew uh, as soon as Chibnall was announced, I was really excited because the thing that I've always thought that he does best is character development and character work and interactions and that sort of thing. So, and I feel like he he gave me what I was expecting in terms of really great, a really great arc of the characters interacting with each other and and their development for the most part. But I feel like in order for that to work, to keep people, to keep it appointment viewing, to keep butts in seats for that sort of thing, they really have to buy into that one specific relationship. And if they're not all on board for that and there isn't another plot type arc yeah it's the uh not only did the the viewing figures dip uh, you know and not a lot like the 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 viewing figures for uh episode nine which is the last one that i have available in front of me right now were still considerably higher than most of the previous uh most of the previous series right. but the uh the appreciation index which is the thing that they do in the uk also also dipped um and it, it it not a lot but it kind of went down from started at 83 and then ended up at 79 you know with with a few ups and downs kind of in the middle there but uh but yeah so overall you know people people's opinions on each episode kind of started to wane a little bit so i'm i'm hoping that there's maybe somewhat of a change in 
trajectory for the next season or series, which, you know, it's going to be a while before we get it. But uh, but but maybe to sort of keep keep people on board a little bit longer and a little bit better. I don't know. And I, I don't think le- the quality of the episodes actually decreased as time went on. You know, I think there was mm-hmm. some notable dips uh, in the middle, but, you know, like the uh, It Takes You Away I thought was probably my favorite episode. That was episode nine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't think that the ratings and the appreciation going down is necessarily to do with the quality of the individual episodes. Yeah. yeah, it's uh it's almost like a little scientific experiment that they that they did which is what what would Doctor Who look like if there were no no connective tissue almost at all. There's a little bit of an emotional arc but there's no uh plot arc to speak of. What how would that look? And I think this is the answer which is very accessible. Maybe it, you end up losing some steam because there's no narrative uh flow to keep you engaged i can tell you that my family has not seen every episode part of that is because i would have to watch episodes sometimes very quickly for the doctor who flashcast but i would also say that that's unusual because usually there's something in the story that pulls everybody along whereas this this season they could just miss episodes and it was fine and so they did and that i I, it's it's interesting i it doesn't feel i get why they're doing it at the same time, there is part of me that says it doesn't feel modern because it feels yep. like all modern television is interconnected now. And maybe that's maybe that's the point is that they're trying to be different and they're trying to be more accessible and they want this to be this broad welcoming show that is not going to be uh, you know, a binge watch where it's really a 10-hour movie. And uh, I think that's a valid choice. It just, it changes the complexion of the of the storytelling. Yeah, it, it, it gave the, the show back to the mainstream public, I think, probably for the first time in a while. You know, it, it was sort of brought back in 2005, uh, which seems like decades ago now, um, to sort of like once again be family viewing on a Saturday night without any connective tissue to previous stories. You know, they, they never even mentioned Gallifrey until... Uh, like the third year, I think it was Runaway Bride. They first mentioned, it. and then sure the Daleks are there, but everyone sort of like knows what the Daleks are, just like everybody knows what the TARDIS is. So like that first season of of Modern Doctor Who is kind of like this one as well, and that there's just like it. Yep, it's for people again. You don't have to watch anything prior to this. Come along and enjoy the ride. And I feel like that's kind of like this is the biggest reset button um, since that time. I think for for Modern Doctor Who for sure. Let's do a fun thing. Ha <laughs> uh, ha. Uh, oh, James gave James gave something away there, but uh, this is not a draft. Everybody, I, I, I uh, again, <laughs> but I do want us to get everybody's favorites and least favorites for the season. And you don't have to pick just one, and you you can pick more than one if you want. But let's go around. We'll start with the positive. And go around and ask everybody what their favorite episodes. You can pick two or three if you want to, uh, but you don't have to. If there's just the one that is the best, uh, and then we'll go around and be negative and then and uh, and and beat up on a couple episodes. James, favorite episodes? Okay, so as I as I spoiled myself, um, <laughs> it, it takes you away. I I really liked um, the Ghost Monument as well. I liked. I mean, for the Tardis introduction and things like that um i i like the historical episodes but um i think those two are the ones that i would pick all right gene your favorites i'm just gonna stick with my one which is demons of the punjab because i i just can't stop re-watching it and being feeling very compelled by everything going on there uh, it's a nice episode for yaz even though 
everybody has to be kind of, you know, staying in the background and not not affecting things because it's historical. And um, I like the, um, I just, it's beautiful too. I mean, it's just beautiful to watch and acting and the writing. I think it's, and it just makes me cry every mm. time when I get to the end. So, <laughs> um, and, and from a science fiction, you know, point of view, this is like, like pure time travel, you know, the kind of time travel people like us would like to be able to do, just pop back and see, you know, our grandmothers getting married or something like that without, you know, affecting history. And the fact that there are these, um, I never, Hijarians uh, who are uh, initially assassins, but now, you know, the, the watchers that... It's not the strongest point, but I don't think it messes up the show either, and it does have some cool effects. So they're designated. The universe is designated mourners, which is interesting in a season that has a lot of different references to grief and mourning. Um, mm-hmm. They are they are the mourning race. Um, Stephen, favorites? Perhaps it, it's a very even season, so finding a, finding mm. peaks and valleys is a little tricky, but. I think the ghost monument stands out to me uh, because it probably showcases two of the biggest things that I'm excited about outside of the things that we've talked about so far in the look of the show. Oh, now yeah. Now shot with oh, two yeah. to one aspect ratio on anamorphic lenses and then Sagan Akinola's music, which is just mm. Spectacular! Mm-hmm. Yes, it Doctor Who has never looked better, and w- uh, they shot that episode in South Africa, and like some of the shots you see there are like you know motion picture worthy. It's it was stunning to watch. I believe in the Doctor Who flashcast for that episode. I said the phrase Doctor Who has never looked better, and I I um I cast back to when the eleventh hour to when Stephen Moffat took over and the show went to HD. Well, like the specials but yeah like fully full on <laughs> full on designed for HD intended to be HD the cinematography was much more uh cinematic the uh, production design was upgraded to be an, a full HD production and there was that moment in the 11th hour where you're like wow doctor who you're like very um modern and uh and like watching a movie and yet this season did it again, right? Like took it up another notch, whatever the intervening time may be since Stephen Moffat took over to now, uh, or whether it's just different choices they made. But uh, it it looks great and the music is great too. Uh, and I think Ghost Monument is one of those like the, the, those outside shots. Like this is a show... Mm-hmm. I just, I remember Doctor Who always being in a quarry, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you look at that and it's like, it's just this amazing, uh, spectacular scenery in those shots it's it's yeah it's pretty incredible there are also quarries this season you know it's fun. yeah this is why this show takes like 14 months to make and that's why we get it in 2020 now because 10 episodes of doctor who take longer to make than 13 episodes of stuff shot half of it like basically in cardiff city hall and the other half in a quarry nearby did you have to remind us of that steven the uh, we'll get the, we'll get there at the end too i think we're going to talk about that but uh it is the battle of ron score of 
quarry. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just, they're in a quarry. That whole planet is a quarry. Erica, do you have favorites? I do. Usually I struggle with this, but this season I had no trouble whatsoever. The Saranga Conundrum is my favorite by by a lot. I just there was something about that story that was just it was just made for me. Like the the gleaming white spaceship, yeah. the the way that all yeah. of the different characters interacted and it was light. It felt fun. There was one major thing that really bothered me, which was the whole idea that, you know, you should keep your baby because that's the right thing to do. End of. Um, but I'm not going to go into that because we're talking about favorites right now. <laughs> so everything else in that episode just delighted me to no end. And I know people have complained about there being no actual villains and no evil monsters. And I actually really like that. So I loved that the the pating was just this adorable little thing that was just trying to, you know, have lunch. And that was, <laughs> was it. And but there was there was also some actual real tension because you know you get the doctor not entirely sure that her plan is going to work and doesn't even know for sure. Like you know she asks Yaz, you know name a number between one and a hundred. <laughs> yes, says fifty one or whatever it is. And then they're not sure that the pating is going to show up in time and they're arguing about like you could have picked a higher number. And it was just <laughs> there were so many little interpersonal moments in that story that and this is. I, to me, that's that's the, the essence of Chris Chibnall at his best is is putting groups and pairs of people together and getting them to interact in ways that are true to their their characters. And you get you get a lot of shuffling around. You get the Yaz and Ryan scene where she's asking him about his his mom, and you get Graham and Ryan, you know, dealing with a pregnancy, which you know I. I, I while that's kind of, I like the gender flipping aspect of it, but it's an overplayed trope, so it kind of evened out for me. But I still like their dialogue with each other. You get the doctor and Yaz, and Yaz, you know, sort of making eyes at the doctor. Let's let Tumblr take care of all that side of things. Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. And just, and and also the side characters, I thought, were all great. I loved every one of them and thought that they were really well developed. And then you even get a tiny little hint of this society's, uh, the, the way that they treat these cloned android people hmm. things, which just set my my brain down all kinds of delightful, like, what is this society actually like? Oh, I and I love the fact that they just let him be decommissioned at the end of the episode. It's not like the doctor has come in and suddenly changed society and changed a fundamental aspect of this, this guy's, uh, the brother, changed a fundamental aspect of his his life view and got him to to try to adopt this this android. Nope, he's just going to be decommissioned, and that's the end of it. I love the doctor popping in and out in and having not so huge of a ripple. Uh, it was just I I just gosh, I love that story, and now I want to go watch it right now. Now that you've reminded me of that, I'm going to add it back to my list because I'd forgotten Yay! all that. Uh, Erica likes the rebos operation. I mean the Saranga conundrum. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Alyssa, favorites? Uh, I think for me, uh, oh, okay, I'm going to have to pick multiples and I'm sorry. But um, mm-hmm. Rosa was one of my favorite episodes from this season and possibly of all time. Um, I thought it was exceptionally well done. Um, I thought the dialogue and all of the uh, conversations throughout it were amazing. Um, I thought it tackled a really difficult and horrifying subject in a way that was um, incredibly 
thoughtful um, and well done. Um, and I kind of just had the most emotional reaction to it of any other story this season. So I was just 100% on board with that. Um, I think um, The Demons of the Punjab was uh, a really incredible uh, story, um, very well written, incredibly beautifully shot. Um, I loved the new music that Sagan Ekinola did um, for uh, the theme music. Um, and I thought thought that the doctor's officiation of the wedding was kind of one of the most beautiful scenes in Doctor Who that I've seen in a very long time. Um, and I just really, really adored it. Um, and then I also really liked the ghost monument. I thought that was kind of the standout moment for Jodie Whittaker's doctor in the entire season. Like this was, I felt her at really her doctorish. Um, and, you know, getting sort of getting a grip again on what it means to be the doctor. Um, and that reunion moment between the doctor and the TARDIS was just so wonderful. Like that just gives me warm, happy, fuzzy feelings every single time that I watch it. You can pick three. It's perfectly allowed. Uh, <laughs> it's not a draft. It's not a draft. I feel draft. like I'm cheating, but you know what? I no. can't, don't make me choose between my children. I, I cannot. <laughs> I love this because I can pick three later and it'll be fine. Chip, do you have any choices for favorites? Um, Rosa is absolutely my favorite uh, for everything that uh, Alyssa said. So, you know, uh, quote marks, uh, quote marks there. Uh, I'll refer the gentleman to uh, my colleague's previous answer. Um, second, I re I rewatched it again very recently, and Grace's death still leaves a really, really bad taste in my mouth and really does sully the entire series. And yet, I really do like The Woman Who Fell to Earth. Everything else that that story does, does it so well. I don't yeah. think it quite measures up to the 11th hour in terms of an introduction to a series or a showrunner or a new doctor, but it comes really, really damn close. And the doctor is very doctorish, very in control, very, um, you know, very moral authority. And yet we have that different side of her revealed when the camera pulls focus during Grace's funeral. And there is the doctor in the back attending the funeral uh, being part of it. That's some, that is something that feels different. And that's one of the things that happens that makes me not only enjoy series 11, but actually feel grateful for it in some way. Yeah, I would actually put The Woman Who Fell to Earth. Like, it, it's not as high as The Saranga Conundrum is for me, but that's the other one that stands out as a great one. So good choice. Good job. It's not a draft, but good job. Good good pick. <laughs> so so since it's not a draft, I can mention Demons of the Punjab again, which is definitely high on my list. That might be my number one. Uh, and Jean has talked about why it was so good. I'm going to mention The Witchfinders, mostly because mm. it is super fun, and Alan Cummings' performance is amazing. It is a riot uh it makes me laugh it is uh i like the episode there are things about it that are not uh are not fantastic in terms of some of the uh the the plot but uh i don't care because i just had fun watching it also anthony will tell you pendle hill looks nothing like that uh but he's not here he's you can listen to the flashcast episode we did together where he gives some lancashire knowledge uh and and uh which the episode doesn't have as much of. So, uh, but I really enjoy that mostly for Alan Cummings' performance. It just, I, it is a, a, I just thought it was a fun episode with a great performance. And sometimes that's all it takes in an hour of TV. And I will, um, 
as a third since we can do three now. Thanks, Alyssa. Uh, I'm gonna throw Yay. I'm gonna throw in uh, James's uh, mention, which he didn't get into a lot of detail of. For it takes you away. It is mm-hmm. a weird episode. I like how foreboding it is at the beginning. I was on the edge of my seat for almost the entire episode, which Doctor Who does not always do for me. And it it did. It felt very modern in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, mystery in the forest in Scandinavia. Um, it, the uh, the daughter who is uh, blind and it's a blind actress playing her, and uh, and that she's an interesting character. It then then they go through a mirror into a totally bizarre like almost farscape like uh stylized weird universe and that's that's there for a while and then and then we end up with the aforementioned frog that represents an entire universe <laughs> uh which i found to be a brilliantly bizarre uh creative choice which i really liked i will say as is only right the most problematic part of it takes you away is the fact that um the father really has done some awful things if you think if you bring it back into the real world which this is a you know a story about a magic mirror but if you bring it back into real world connotations the father has basically set up a system to frighten his daughter into staying inside so that he can go be with his uh his wife in a mirror world and uh he doesn't really i mean there's a stern glance he gets but that's it and then they're like well we're back <laughs> off to be home and it does kind of leave a, a a bitter taste in your mouth at the end that the the, the episode basically doesn't want to engage with the father's behavior beyond a stern glance and that bothers me but it doesn't really override the fact that the rest of the episode i think is pretty great uh although if you hate farscape like erica you might hate it extra (laughs) extra much but i like farscape and uh and i thought it was just a super strange weird episode that's sort of three episodes in one also when they go through the mirror everything is mirror flipped which is really cool and i and i didn't really notice it for a while i thought what's on it on that t-shirt oh that t-shirt is backward oh jody whitaker's hair is parted on the other side oh they're, they're in the mirror world now and i i thought it was a uh a, a, a pretty good episode not not my top you know number one but good uh do, do people want to you don't have to take a long time here but if you want to beat up on an episode that you thought was really bad now is the time james do you have a bad episode yeah well <laughs> funnily enough there's one that comes to mind given that we both spent a uh, half an hour talking about it and liking it less and less as our podcast went mm-hmm. along. Uh, that would be Kerblam, the uh, not very dark uh, satire, not really, of Amazon. And uh, many, many, many questionable choices. The main thing being the killing of Kira in a horrible way that we uh, both did not like at all. And the, the, the baddie also being dispatched in a way that could kind of implicate the doctor in his death, if you look at it like that. And I, I, I eventually hated that episode. However, there are nine other episodes I liked and or really liked. So for a, a season of Doctor Who, 90% hit rate is pretty good. I agree about Kerblam 100%. The politics of that episode are really, really messed up for me. Now, uh, so confused, too. It's a, it doesn't know what it wants to say. It's very, it, mm, yeah. Consumerism is good. 
<laughs> at the time of recording uh we just finished uh doing uh the series recap episode of this week in time travel and our friend and occasional incomparable participant uh rachel donner said that kerblam was her favorite of the season and wow i watched it with her maybe that's why erica was there how could you not like <laughs> doctor who if you watch it with erica well there's a thought uh, i'm not taking credit yeah. for that i i i disagree with rachel but you know i i always say that doctor who is a real rorschach test for the viewer it's changed so mm-hmm. much you know it which, what your favorite or least favorite is says at least as much about you as it does about the episode but every episode also i would say chip every episode of doctor who ever made there is someone who loves it very, there is yep. very always true. someone who loves it and that is one of the cool things about doctor who right mm-hmm. but as far as 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 far as i'm concerned with kerblam there are things that you can read into it that the episode might be trying to do that i don't think that the episode actually does and in the end when the doctor says that the system is not the problem it's how the system is used that is the problem it makes me want to flip a table <laughs> Jean, do do you have a least favorite? Um, well, you beat up on Kerblam pretty well, and <laughs> you um, can join. I got the bat right here. You can join. <laughs> <laughs> and well, it, it's interesting to me because, um, as you also, you know, Chip and y'all were saying, like, there's always somebody who loves um, an episode. It's not me. Just in case you were worrying, I don't love Kerblam. <laughs> However, I have been watching. I've been listening to other podcasts about Doctor Who this season. Like I just, I made a point of branching out to hear other voices, and I was impressed by the fact that, like, if you start going down uh, oh, a path by which you know the episode is bad, you can really like you know tear it apart. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, it is bad. But if you listen to people who don't start there and they don't go there and they talk about everything they liked about that episode, it's like, oh, yeah, that's true. There was a lot of fun stuff in there as well. And I think that's true for pretty much everything in this season, mm-hmm. including what I'm going to nominate as my least favorite, which is, you know, the, the as everybody else has also mentioned, the there's pretty consistent, you know, level of what was really good versus um, what wasn't that good. And Witchfinders, I'm going to put it out there. And and I, I think I expected it to be better because, first of all, you know, it did have Alan Cummings in it. I didn't expect mm-hmm. him to take over the whole show. Um, <laughs> that... I mean, I should have, but I, because I, I was thinking they've done like Rosa, they've done, de- you know, um, Death and Punjab, and they, then they, uh, when I heard they were going to be doing witch trials, I thought, I don't know if I have the emotional energy for another episode that really makes me mad and makes me frustrated with like injustice and stuff like that. Because, you know, witch trials and the whole kind of notion of a witch hunt is very, you know, very disturbing when you you look at it, you know, and for women, especially, are mm-hmm. mostly the ones who get executed. And it wasn't like that at all. I mean, it had some very interesting doctor moments of her saying like, oh, well, dang, now I see what you all are talking about. I can't get anything done as a woman. And that was interesting, but it was all kind of jokey for the subject matter to me, and especially Alan Cummings. <laughs> it's just just great and funny, but it, it's not a funny topic. No one and expects s- King John's Inquisition <laughs> by <laughs> the way. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so I'm t- I, I, 
like I said, I, I, I would watch it again. It's not like I hated it, but I, I was disappointed right. in that one more than others. That's what I'm looking for. That's exactly what I'm looking for here. Steven, do you have a least favorite? I don't know if I have a least favorite episode, but I have least favorite moments, I suppose. I, I kind of admired the approach to the rampant secrecy towards the making of the season, but when there was nothing to really be secret about since we didn't know about anything going into it, uh, I felt like it was kind of a little bit of an overreaction. Like the, mm. the TARDIS itself... You know, it was like, oh, we're keeping the TARDIS secret, and then here are the pictures, but we're not actually going to use it very much in the show. So, uh, which I thought was kind of a cheat. You know, like yeah. they, they held it back for so long, and then there were some episodes where we literally never saw inside the TARDIS at all. Um, the I know that Alyssa said you liked it, uh, but the closing music of Demons of the Punjab, I actually snickered and looked at Erica and says, are they really doing this? And then, <laughs> yep, they are. I thought that was just too much that was a bar too much um and the the in a similar vein i suppose at the end of the uh the woman who fell to earth they had this two minute roll call of guest actors most of whom i have never heard of before <laughs> yep. and I, I thought this is supposed to entice but then at the end it's oh my god chris noth and that was like literally the only name that i knew mm-hmm. uh apart from alan cumming who we already knew was going to be in the show thanks to his instagram feed <laughs> So it was just little moments like that, I think, that that kind of, I don't know, bothered me and perhaps reduced the impact of of the series for me. That roll call worked for me because I knew like about three quarters of the people on it. And I was like, oh, they got him. Um, But yes. (laughs) Yeah. These Americans, we don't know. Uh, Erica, do you have a least favorite? I will will echo the the difficulty in sort of choosing least favorite because it was such an even series. I guess maybe the final three episodes all, like none of them really did it for me. I think uh, Gene already talked about the Witchfinders. Like I wish I could take Ellen Cummings' performance in the Witchfinders, like the, all the, the the delicious scenery chewing that that was, and insert it, like insert that feeling into the Saranga conundrum and take out that awful, like, you know, pregnancy shaming mm. plot. <laughs> and like that would be the perfect episode because uh, I really did like Ellen Cumming, but there was nothing else about the Witchfinders that really connected for me. Um, And I know a lot of people really liked It Takes You Away. It just, I don't know, it didn't didn't really connect for me. I liked it better in a second. It didn't. It didn't. (laughs) I liked it better in a second viewing, but, and I like the sort of thinking about the concepts of it, but watching it, I don't know, it just, it it didn't click. And I think, I think my biggest problem with the Battle of Rancor Avcolos was the fact that I was, and this is on me, I was expecting a finale instead of just a final episode, and there wasn't anything terribly finale-esque about it. I mean, you had it book-ended with, you know, Tsim Shah appearing there again, but, uh, and, you know, and it had a nice little call back to the Pirate Planet, which is in my favorite season of Doctor Who of all time, but... Overall, it just it didn't feel like it had the emotional, like grandiose epic wallop that I was wanting in a final episode. So like all all three of those just sort of left me going, oh, okay. I guess that's that's some more Doctor Who. It is good. It is fine. It's perfectly serviceable. But uh, but yeah, they weren't as good as Kablam. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. It takes all kinds. Alyssa, any anything <laughs> that uh, struck you wrong in any episode that doesn't work for you? Uh, everyone said all of my opinions already about Kerblam. Um, and I basically agree with everything that Erica just said, 
about the battle of much too long name um and i think the only one that i have feelings on that uh hasn't been discussed i feel a little awkward saying because erica liked this one um but i actually had the most viscerally negative reaction to the saranga conundrum oh you're not alone a lot of people hated that episode a lot it wasn't even just the male pregnancy thing like i watched this entire episode and i watched the pating and i basically went oh this is the merchandise episode of the season (laughs) this is doctor who every episode is the merchandise episode of the season i mean that's not wrong but i also <laughs> felt like this one didn't have a uh, a reason beyond that oh, they, they have a new adipose great <laughs> yeah we're gonna have a new little stress toy for everybody to use um i really liked the internet's reaction to immediately going oh this is stitch doctor who style uh-huh. um because that was that was pretty great but um otherwise like i was just watching the episode and i think the worst thing is i just felt bored <laughs> during it um i felt like there was not really anything happening i didn't the male pregnancy thing was just very weird and poorly executed um and the pating was cute but also i i did i didn't get it it was just like i was watching it just going okay so this is the new stuffed toy that's going to be in the stores next year sounds good okay bye Mm. and yet we don't have any pating in the stores yet next year well they're a little behind on merchandise this year year, Mm -hmm. but you know give it a month or two enough negativity let's move on uh and wrap up with uh with our hopes for the future so doctor who is not other than the new year's special the doctor who is not coming back until the far off future the year 2020 Ah! which is which is like (laughs) slightly more than a year away at this point but it's still the year 2020 so far away for series 12 so where uh there'll be a giant robot and an ark in space nope Nope, got that wrong again. Uh, so I want to go around one last time to everybody and uh, and just check in with all of you about what your uh, what your what's on your wish list. What are your hopes for where this series goes next? We've already heard Jodie Whittaker is back, um, barring any kind of surprises. I, I feel like we're going to get a, a series that's quite similar in terms of the cast and crew to what we got this year, uh, and it will just be in the after the first of the year in, in 2020. Uh, so let's, uh, Chip, we'll start with you. Uh, expectations and hopes for the future? Um, I hope that the stories will get a little deeper. We talked about this a little bit on uh, This Week in Time Travel, but um, I feel like it was a good idea for a season of simpler, more accessible stories, and I think that perhaps they overcorrected a bit, and now it's time to sort of uh, dig in a little bit and really challenge, really challenge the cast. Maybe not so much challenge the audience, but uh, engage the audience a little bit more. Um, and I am ready for a few uh, returning monsters, uh, re- uh, you know, your Centaurans, your Daleks, your Cybermen or whatever. I think the time is right for that. All right. Alyssa, what's your what's on your wish list for 2020? Uh, I really want uh, more of a focus on the Doctor and Yaz. I want to see them get more of their own stories, more of their own uh, emotional arcs next season, um, and make them girlfriends, you cowards. (laughs) (laughs) Erica? I'm not going to go that far. Um, (laughs) I still still don't want hanky-panky in my TARDIS. I think it's – I like it when the Doctor's just got pals. But um, – Fam? You know, yeah. I like them as a fam, for sure. I do. Uh, you know, though, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? I 
there are things that, that they could do that might make me like it more. But I honestly am not sure that I want them to actually do any of those things because I've talked to when I was at Chicago TARDIS, I talked to, you know, a number of people about the series and, and how it is. And at least one person was saying that he enjoyed he has enjoyed this this season of Doctor Who so much more like just the the act of sitting down and watching it with his family is better than it has been like he's loving it more than he has since he was a child and i feel like you know when one person says that there's definitely a lot more people who feel that way and i feel like any change that they would make would probably make it more similar to the stephen moffat era which is sort of my doctor who happy place and i want i want people who are liking this season for the things that it is to maybe have another season Mm. that's just more of this so that they are getting their doctor who happy place um Personally, yeah, I would I would maybe like a little bit more arc and maybe to see some classic monsters. But overall, I think it was still really good. And I know that there are people who are loving the crap out of it. And I want those people to have another season of pure Doctor Who joy because I feel like I got many years of it myself. That's very nice of you to to grant that to the to the others. But I think there's something <laughs> to that about how Doctor Who changes and is different things to different people. And sometimes some eras aren't yours and they are someone else's. And yep. she's not on this episode, but uh, I did a, a, a Flashcast episode with uh, Shannon, Chip's wife, and she was really turned off by the Stephen Moffat era and is really excited about this new era. Mm-hmm. So it's like, give give everybody their, their moment in the sun. I think there's something to that. Um, Stephen, any uh, things on your wish list, your hopes for 2020? I, I echo the um, returning villains. I think it's you know it's it it, it doesn't invalidate Jodie's Doctor by not having met anyone from the series past, but it almost feels like you know it, I know that Peter Davison said that he didn't quite feel like the Doctor until he met the Daleks, and that was like in his last season essentially. And it, so it'd be kind of cool to have you know put Jodie Whittaker up against the Daleks and have her be in the pantheon of Doctors who have done so. So I'm looking forward to that. I am looking forward to perhaps the dialogue sizzling a little more. Yep. I, that's the one thing I miss about yep. the Stephen Moffat era. I think I think the um, it, it doesn't quite have that sparkle that Moffat had. I'd, li- I'd like you know there were some jokes in there, but I think the jokes sort of happened a, a little less organically as they might have done in the Moffat era. So I'm looking forward to that perhaps. And as much as I like all the characters, uh, I like that the companions all have reasons to not travel with the doctor anymore so that they don't have to literally uh put them in separate universes um, <laughs> never to be or or wipe the memory of a companion or two to to have them leave the show um so i'm i'm kind of hope i don't know who's going to win this this game of companion survivor but i'm not entirely <laughs> sure that the show is up to having this many uh, characters in it, um, the fam, so to speak, and especially now that uh, that the Graham and Ryan one has kind of like reached some closure. That their little storyline, you know, they're, they're, I don't know how much development is 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 necessary for those two characters. So, so maybe they'll both leave, and it'll just be Yaz and the Doctor running around uh, in the TARDIS together a little more, perhaps um, by the end of next series too. This got very dark very quickly. Gene, <laughs> uh, what's on your wish list? I too have monsters. Uh, classic monsters on my list. I would love to see the Doctor and the Daleks. I would love to see the Daleks not recognize the Doctor again and be really, you know, blown away by the fact that they don't. And then she just, you know, 
Oh, that would bother me because usually the Daleks recognize the doctor no matter yeah. what body they're in. <laughs> so it would bother me if the only time they can't recognize the doctor is when she's a woman. Mm. Uh, so Turns I, out I, Daleks are really sexist. Come out in the next fit. season. That would fit. <laughs> yeah, well, that would, um, at any rate, I w- I'd like to see them um, be afraid of her. And mm-hmm. uh, then uh, I wouldn't mind if she got a new getup. Uh, because I was not a fan of this one when it was first shown, and it worked out, I think, better in practice. Like I like seeing it on her, but I really would like her to have something besides that hooded uh, raincoat oh. as the main part oh, of Jean, her jacket. You know, <laughs> yeah, I was I was gonna say I kind of agree with you, but it turns out I completely disagree with you. My favorite thing, and I didn't realize this going in with the promo photos, is that coat. I love that coat. That is the best. <laughs> she can wear whatever she wants underneath it, but but keep that coat. Yeah. I love the coat. I love it. Although I, the, Jody Whitaker has said that that coat is very light, and she feels like she maybe made a mistake because she's always cold when they're filming uh, in okay. Britain. Time for a puffy jacket, I guess, for the doctor. <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, so those are uh, those are my wishes. Then they're uh, well, the monster one is strong, but the the clothes I could live with it. Sure. But, um, I think they should give her another change it up outfit. a little bit. Sure, why not? Can, can I can I add an addendum? Actually, just very quick, just regarding clothes. I I would love a variety of costumes, especially in the period uh, episodes. I kind of miss when companions dress up to oh, yeah. match the period that they're in. Yeah. and no one ever did that during all three of the uh, the historicals this year. I'd like to see that again. James, what what's on your wish list? Again, I would echo everyone with the returning monsters. I think it's time, and I think you know those classic monsters are classic for a reason. I agree. Bring back the Weirin. I'm ready. Yes, Vord or nothing. We already had bubble wrap. <laughs> I like the theory that the episode that we're getting for new year the resolution that resolution is not the full title and it is actually resolution of the daleks yes <laughs> here here uh, so i would really like that but as well as monsters i would like some uh, other former companions and characters coming back and i know this won't happen but i want the doctor's wife river song to show up and you know to hell with the timeline and whatever. I would just like to see the two of them interact um, and do the whole we're a married couple thing. Um, And I would finally, I think since nobody's mentioned this, I would like the TARDIS to dispense some other biscuits than uh, custard creams. There's a, there's a world of biscuits they could choose from. Some nice chocolate digestives, perhaps. I would like to see that that uh, biscuit ejecting thing again right we saw it the one time yeah, and we only like, saw it once i feel like it needs to be a rectangle biscuit because it's slotted down into that holder mm. so very nicely but i i would I, I guess i'd be okay with any other rectangular biscuit bourbons would probably fit there yeah, yeah i mean yeah. we could have like there could be like a whole range of them that go all around the console and just where Ooh. you stand oh. you get a different biscuit now you're talking i like it this is getting better all the time I want to second Stephen's point about the dialogue. I think at several points I did feel like uh, I watched something that was on the verge of being a classic, 
but the dialogue didn't quite get there and maybe the plot like there was a lot of stuff that i think maybe intentionally that chris chibnall does this just kind of alighted things in the plot like there was a lot erica my headcanon was working overtime this season right there's a lot of stuff that i feel (laughs) like they're just they're just like we're not going to even address this where i felt like even a little bit here or there a little tightening of all the screws and some of these episodes that were good could have been great and i feel like Maybe this is just what we get when the showrunner is good at some things and not others. And I think maybe Chris Chibnall at some of the plot and dialogue stuff just fact is not as good as Stephen Moffat and Russell T. Davis. And so you end up with uh, scripts that are good, but not great. Um, And I wish they were just a little bit better because I feel like a lot of these were so close to taking another leap. Uh, uh, Not that they were bad but that they could have been great with just a little bit more that was missing somehow. Um, and since River Song coming back is never going to happen, I'm going to throw in my thing that's never going to happen, which is <laughs> I realize it's been so long now um, and they work together so closely that I want an episode written by Russell T. Davis. That's what I want. That would be great. Yeah, I think he's retired oh. from the Doctor Who business, but who yeah. knows? Maybe he's got like that one thing in the back of his head where he's like... Maybe and uh, and he says, "Okay, Chris, here you go. I got a script for you, yeah. and it'll be late." <laughs> I think you never retire from Doctor Who. Yeah, there's always a true. there's always a guest yeah. appearance you can do. Although fifty I, years I know later, people, I know who people people who are irritated by the dialogue of uh, Stephen Moffat and and to some extent RTD who are actually enjoying this series because it sounds more like the way real people naturalistic. Talk. Yes, naturalistic. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so those those people might be really irritated if RTD came back. I, however, would love it. Well, okay, so here we go, New Year's Day special, and then nothing until 2020, uh, which will leave us to do a, you know, Doctor Who monster draft or something like that in 2019, just to keep us (laughs) busy, just to keep things warm. What are all the podcasts about Doctor Who going to do? I'm sure great stuff. Uh, I'm sure I I can't wait to hear, I don't know what Verity's concept is going to be for 2019. I do. <laughs> I know you do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm looking forward to it. it, it it's going to be sad to not have Doctor Who for a year, but it, uh, there's always stuff to talk about with Doctor Who because it is endless. It is truly endless. Uh, I want to thank my guests for breaking down Series 11. I'm sorry that we never got to Planet of the Spiders, but maybe next time. Uh, thank you, James Thompson. <laughs> uh, a pleasure. I will talk to you again if we don't talk about the New Year's one in the far off distant future of 2020. Mm, Gene McDonald, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was great. Uh, Eric Ensign, thank you. I'm just looking forward to resolution of the Daleks. Okay, that's right. Me too. <laughs> Stephen Schapansky, thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to Chris Noss' return appearance in 2020 <laughs> when he plays the same character running as president, as, president. as hinted at in Arrested no. in the UK. Sure. No. <laughs> Do not want. <laughs> Alyssa Frankie, thank you. Thank you. I'm here for resolution of the River Song, and I'm just here for Space Girlfriends, really. Okay. <laughs> it's nothing wrong with that. Chip Sutter, thank you. This was brilliant. Fam. Oh. <laughs> well, I can't say that now, but thank you to all of you and everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable Roll On 2020, I guess, and we'll see you next week with another episode. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.